Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Checking, checking, one, 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 two, two, two. Welcome in to another episode of DNVR Avalanche Podcast at the Ring, hosted by Megan Ingley and Jesse Montano. We've already begun a heated discussion. I was going to say, Megan's, Megan's feeling it today, folks. Megan's on one. I, I just, I've adopted another pet project. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm going to come to regret this. That she is ready to put her her full support behind no 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 but something <laughs> i, I can put my full support behind <laughs> is nathan mckinnon as a topic we meant to yeah. get to this last week he's going to the all-star game there's no perfect time to discuss him the season that he's having and what he's on pace to do this year ahead of him going to the all-star weekend do you think he goes uh <laughs> <laughs> i do uh i overheard him talking about it uh in the locker room after the st louis game uh, keep some of that to myself. Yes, he. I. I do believe he is gonna go. I. I thought when he blocked that shot late in the game, I was like, "Ooh, that one stung." I was a like, bit. Yeah, "There's his excuse. There it is." Uh, no, but but I do think he. Um, I think he'll go. I, I actually do think all three abs will will go and will participate. Um. There's some stuff out there that like this is the first time the Avs are sending three people to the All Star Game since like the early 2000s. That's technically not true. They've had three a couple times in the last few years, but players haven't been able to play because of injuries. Nathan McKinnon had that one in San Jose where it was him, Gabe, and Miko, um, and Nate was actually out there, but then had an injury that kept him from playing in the game while at the All Star Game. So they've sent three a couple times, but. Uh, I I think McKinnon, McCarr, and Rantanen will all end up playing, and I think it'll be a cool um, a cool weekend for the organization. You know, it's been a weird start to the year, uh, a lot of injuries. You know, coming off of the cup, you know, such a high. It's been kind of a weird start. Um, this does feel like a nice. Um, in two thousand one, when the Avs won the cup, they sent a bunch of guys to the All Star game, and it felt like just very fitting with everything how the year went. This to me kind of feels like that. For, for the cup year. It's kind of like a nice little ode to just how good that team last year was. And speaking of just how good that team was individually, Nathan McKinnon mm -hmm. has been chasing this 100-point season for yeah, so long. Yeah. And different things have come between it in, in games lost, and he even mm -hmm. loses 11 games this season. 
you hope that that is something that he can accomplish. I wanted to open the floor, though. It sounded like there may have even been a more philosophical discussion you wanted to have about who Nathan McKinnon is as a player. Yeah, so this was one that, if you guys remember, we were trying to get to this topic last week, but we just ran out of time. We had to get to practice. There was The Rockies guys were coming in. Um, the 100-point thing. Uh, the, the one year that it looked like a slam dunk ended up being the COVID year where the season gets cut short. He's on pace for it again this year. I'd love to see him get there just because he's had... You know he can. Right, Dude, right. He's, he's on pace to do it. Right. He, he's like Nathan McKinnon is maybe the only 100-point player who's never hit 100 points. You know what I mean? Like It's so obvious that he should have been able to do it a couple times. Like you said, a couple things have kept him from it. Um, no, but Megan, you know what, what we wanted to talk about last week, one of the things that I wanted to talk about was him making the all-star game when I, I think this this year this nomination for him I think Nathan McKinnon has moved into a different tier of player um, when we were talking before any of the all-star rosters were announced about who we thought from the abs were, was going to go right the NHL has a rule one one player from every team. Gary Bettman says that he doesn't ever like to give a fan base a reason not to watch the All-Star game. Um, and so he wants to make sure there's a representative from every team. Uh, with the way that the Avs year had started, we had all said it's probably Miko Rantanen going away, right? Should should have been. Um, I made the comment that I said, well, hey, you know, Kale McCarr, I think, probably gets the nod as well because I think he's entered into that Alex Ovechkin, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid... Uh, you know, kind of tier where everyone just views him as an all-star. doesn't matter what kind of season he's had. doesn't matter what start to the year he's had, injuries, whatever. He's an all-star. He's one of the best players, and people want to see him there every year. I, I didn't say that for Nathan McKinnon because he had had the injury, the start of the year. You know, the goal production wasn't quite there in terms of what he normally paces to. Not say he wasn't having a good year points production wise, or you know, just from us watching him. But I, we never even really kind of mentioned him as a consideration because mostly because of the injury, he just missed too much time. Well, he gets named to another All Star game. I, I, I think this is six or seven now for him. And I just think after the last couple of seasons that he's had, like we were just kind of making the joke, like it's obvious he's a hundred point guy. He's well into the 90s multiple times in these weird circumstances have kept him from actually breaking the triple-digit mark. Um, but then I think it was just his performance in the playoffs last year where he kind of showed how much of a well-rounded player he is, where people were pointing at the production, but on any given night, he was arguably the best, best player on the ice between either team on all 200 feet. All of it kind of culminating in Game 6, he has points on both goals, including the first goal of the game. And then he has the primary assist on the Arturi Lekkinen, eventual cup winning goal. Um, I think everyone just kind of realized last year how truly special Nathan McKinnon is. And I don't think he's viewed anymore as one of those like borderline elite guys. It's McDavid, it's McCarr, it's McKinnon, it's Matthews. It's weird that those are all M's. Um, to me, those are kind of the players that are now viewed league-wide as there's these guys, then there's the next tier of guys. Those next tier of guys are still very, very, very good, great players, but they aren't into this top tier. And, and, and I just thought that 
Nathan McKinnon getting the all-star nod this year, despite the start of the season he had with the injury and things like that, that was what kind of made me realize, no, th this guy is in that other tier. And we don't just view him like that here in Colorado because we see him every day and we understand the, the finer details of what a special player he is. He's now recognized league-wide as one of the truly elite players that, again, I think the All-Star game means different things to different things to different people. That to me is something that I've always felt has been telling about the all-star game. There's a few guys that every year you don't even have to look at what kind of year they're having. You know, they're going to be at the all-star or at least invited to the all-star game. Um, and those are typically the most special of the most special players. And, and this year um, it felt like Nathan McKinnon kind of broke that, that barrier. It's interesting, too, because I can reconcile why he even slipped my mind for a second, and it's not for any reasons that point to him not being the star that he is. Right. I actually look at the way that he approaches his position and the way that he's changed in his approach to being a centerman. And a lot of the other names you mentioned, what they bring to the table is undeniable, insane goal scoring specifically. Yep. And McKinnon is still very much a goal scorer, but I think he leaned into also being more of a playmaker. And I think that's why you see the points distributed among of all Colorado stars. It's why the three-headed monster posed the threat that it did when that line was intact. And I think the blue-collar things that he was doing in the playoffs specifically are what made him not only such a triple threat for the Colorado Avalanche, mm -hmm. but why maybe some of those things go to the wayside when we're talking about things like all-star games, because it's not just a pure goal scorer anymore. Right. He's really well-rounded as a player, and I think that it just his approach to the position became sort of different from what we look to in the McDavid's and the Matthews. They just they are just such natural-born goal scorers yep. that McKinnon... It's pop. It's an easier pop. You're right. It's a good way to put it, because... You will take the McKinnon any day on your team because what he brings to the table is going to be so good. Both ends of the ice, mm -hmm. you really value that. Like we've watched McKinnon bail some of the call-up defensemen that are with the team <laughs> right now out of bad situations yeah. in their own end. And that is what Nathan McKinnon brings to the table. And it's not understated. I don't think it you know, is undervalued in the Colorado Avalanche fan base. But then when you look at the national scale, you see exactly how this happened and why he belongs in the All-Star game. Right, 100%. And... and it, I thought it was telling that we've seen Jared Bednar go five forwards on, on a five-on-three a couple of times this season when Kale McCarr was out. There's a reason he played Nathan McKinnon at the point. Nathan McKinnon is very comfortable cycling out high, and to your point, Megan, several times, not just this year but over the last couple of years, he gets caught as one of the two guys back, and he's very comfortable playing that position. He's got a physical edge to his game. I've always said... I've long thought that Nathan McKinnon was a, a hybrid player between Alex Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby. I, I'm not saying that he's as good as Ovechkin and Crosby put together, but that's just his play style. I think he's got the playmaking ability and, and the vision for the ice of a Sidney Crosby. He's got that little bit more well-rounded game, active stick, things like that. But he's not afraid to go you know, around guys, through guys, over top of guys, the way that Alex Ovechkin has always had that you know, undeniable thing about his goal scoring that like he's going to get to the front of the net. It doesn't matter what you put in his way. Nathan McKinnon has a little bit of that edge to him as well. And I think he embraced the Sidney Crosby side of him a little bit more in the playoffs last year where, hey, just bullying my way up the ice 
you know, and, and picking up a bunch of points. While that does help the team, I need to help the team in different ways this year. Um, and I just think that it was a it was a really special playoff run from him, and people uh, around the league really got a sense of appreciation for what made him special and what we've always thought put him into that McDavid category. Yeah, he's not you know the 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 skill level of McDavid, but in my opinion, genuinely. There are so many things in Nathan McKinnon's tool belt that Connor McDavid doesn't have. And, and I think that is kind of a little bit more, um, you know, to repeat myself for the 50th time. I think people are recognizing that. I, I only laugh, too, because I'm thinking of some of the respect he probably has earned around the league is because he is a nasty player to play against. Right. You don't want to play on He's the opposite hard. side of Nathan McKinnon. Yeah. And I think that is very memorable to the competition and to yes. people in other fan bases, other organizations who have to watch their team compete against Nathan McKinnon. He, he's willing to fight. You know, how much do we hear, you know, old school hockey people talk about like, oh, you need guys to defend your stars. Connor McDavid needs someone there to defend him. Nathan McKinnon does not need anyone to defend him. He will, he will stand up for himself. He will stand up for teammates. Uh, he'll, he'll throw the body around. You know, we, we the, the angry Nate joke is something you know that's something that we talk about for a reason. Usually, to your point, if if you're a defender and you see some you know fourth line call up guy give Nathan McKinnon an extra shot behind the play behind the whistle and you see him piss off Nathan McKinnon, you're like, now I have to deal with that. Now I have to deal with Nathan McKinnon running me over in the corner. Thank you. And it's just it's just funny because yeah, he's I think you're spot on, Megan. He's hard to play against in a way that most like high skill superstars are not. I think it commands respect. And the other reason I think he slipped some people's mind in a an effort to send it to the All-Star game is because he's probably the last person who wants to go to the All-Star <laughs> game. I think people were doing it as a courtesy. I think the Gavs fan base didn't rally around trying to get him to go like, we know Nathan does not want to go to this. <laughs> and he still did. So. He's, and he's going. Yeah, Hextel, do you have any plans for the break? Well, the fans voted me in. Yeah, yeah so. that was so good. <laughs> I, I This is the last thing we move on from Nate. I tweeted about it. Uh, I think everyone should go watch the video I posted of Nate after the game, after St. Louis Great a couple nights up. ago. Um, Nate's very blunt. He's not afraid to answer questions. Like that was a stupid question, motherfucker. Like he won't actually say that obviously, but like, you know, he'll, he'll like, I asked him about the struggling in the third periods and he, you know, he goes, well, you know, we had a lot of good third periods for a while. No one wanted to talk about that. And he goes, it's long season. And Hey, maybe we'll have a good third period against Pittsburgh. And like, that's his way of saying like, come on, dude. And, and, and like, I've just I I have really come what I what I talk about in that tweet is I've really come to appreciate his honesty because there's been times this year where I walk into the room and I'm like, Ooh, I'll bet you this team is tense, I'll bet you they're pissed, I'll bet you they're whatever. And Nate will just have this like, look, you know, it happens. We didn't play well. We didn't ha you know, here's what we did wrong. Here's where we messed up. It happens. And what he told me was as long as the intention is there, as long as they have the right intentions, they'll live with mistakes. And they'll live with bad games as long as the as long as the group has good intentions and is working to do the right things. Um, but yeah, I, I just I feel like Nate gives a really true pulse of how that team feels because he's someone that's not afraid to not put on a, a show. You know what I mean? Like, I'll tell you how I'm feeling. I think that's such a great call out too because 
there have been at least two now times this season that I had a perception about something and then it was changed when I heard from either Nathan McKinnon in that interview you're talking about mm. or Jared Bednar when he talked about the Chicago game. Yes. How he yes. talked about it changed my perception and it's why there are people you look to on this team to give you a better idea of what things look like in that room when we're not there as yep. media. And it's important for us to reconsider, reevaluate, and really listen. And that's why it's important. I think you're building great rapport with Nathan McKinnon specifically. I think he's very honest with you. And this was a loose segue into the Jared Bednar conversation, mm -hmm. though, because he also gives great insight into this team. And it's to celebrate the thing he doesn't <laughs> want us to celebrate, which is – it points to who he is as a person so much but we have to talk about the accomplishment yeah. becoming the winningest coach in franchise history he brought them from the 48 point season to the 95 point season mm -hmm. he has stayed above 500 well above 500 every year that he's been here and continues to improve in time and you look back on his tenure here where it started very low point yep. point of desperation for the organization and this is an untested coach who didn't have the benefit of another year behind an NHL bench to point to and say, look, I know this 48-point season right. isn't great, but I have this body of work to point to. Right. He did at other levels. And so I wanted to open this segment with the question you asked um, mm. about how his experience going from the ECHL, AHL primed him and gave him exactly the tools he needed to be able to coach at the NHL level. Yeah. So we'll play the audio here first. Yeah, I think looking back on it, and I kind of always, I got good advice when I was a young coach, like don't be in a rush to climb the ladder, you know, um, make sure, you, and, and it's the same advice, on, honestly, it's the same, like coaching in the minors, ECHL, you got guys, you know, two steps away from the NHL, their, their goal, lots of them is just, I want to play at the highest level I can, and that might be the American League or the old International League, and, and you know, there's areas the reason they're there is there's areas of their game that they need to work on in order to be you know a trusted player and, and earn a regular spot at the next level and it's the same for a coach like you got to make sure you're fine-tuning your game refining your craft and so when you get the opportunity you know and there and you, there has to be some luck involved and you may need to know some people or make an impression on someone in order to get that uh, opportunity but when you know my goal was when when I got the opportunity, if it ever came, that I would be ready. And then I went to work at the American League, learned a lot. Bigger staff, better um, resources behind you, more detail to the game, so you go to work again. And so I was never in a rush to, to get out of the American League. I wanted to make sure, same thing I tell my players at that level, that when you go, I, you don't want to just go for a cup of coffee. You know, you want to prove that... Uh, that you're ready and that you can handle everything that's going to get thrown at you. It's a tough league, and every every league you move up, it becomes tougher and tougher to win. And um, so I wanted to be ready. So like I just, you know, kept trying to work on my game, just like I would tell our players to work on theirs. So when they get the opportunity, they, they can make the most of it. I, I'm glad that you wanted to play that clip because it's something that I wanted to talk about because I thought it was just something that was so interesting because he talked about. You know, after that 48-point season, I didn't know if I was going to get another chance. And, and you know, he said it would have been understandable had they wanted to move on. But I think, <clears throat> I think it speaks to, one, who Jared Bednar is as, as a person, as a coach, and what, even though the team struggled so much, what he exuded, right? The confidence 
in knowing that they could get it turned around, having a clear vision and a clear goal for what he wanted a culture to look like, a system to look like, how he wanted his guys to buy in. And then I do think it says something about Joe Sackick. And I guess I don't think we should necessarily be surprised, you know, looking back on it, given the patience that Joe, Sh- Joe Sackick showed, has shown in so many different aspects of his management style that he was willing to say, no, we hired this guy for a reason. We believe in what he is bringing, what he says, what he does. Um, and yeah, the I don't, I didn't want to go for a cup of coffee. I wanted to make sure I was prepared. And he talks about not being in a hurry. I've said it several times, and I even wrote about it uh, this week in the blog. Everybody, every company in the world right now, especially here in America, obviously, you know, this is the one that the job market we're the most familiar with. Everyone is looking for leaders like Jared Bednar. Uh, people who understand the situation. They know how to communicate. They know when you need to push. They know when you need to pull back. They know when you need to lighten the mood. They know when you need to be serious. And they understand that every person needs to be treated and coached up a little bit differently, right? You know, Megan, even in our job, what works for you doesn't work for me. What works for me doesn't work for Yahir. And Jared Bednar understands that. And I think him saying, I didn't, I wasn't in a rush. I didn't want to be in a rush to get to the NHL to say, Hey, look, I'm here. I did it because if you're in a rush to get to the NHL and then you have that 48 point season, it is really easy to question yourself, your own ability. It's easy for the people who hired you to question your own ability because you got here so quick. It's did, did, did we maybe make a mistake? Did we jump the gun on this? But when you have the amount of experience that Jared Bednar has and to his, you know, what he talks about of, you know, him feeling like he was prepared. That's why his confidence in himself didn't waver. He said, I know I've put in the work to get here. And that's why when you take a step back and look at, you know, using the phrase, the body of work for him as a professional hockey coach, not just in the NHL, it's not surprising at all that we're here having this conversation. Even when he was asked if, Jared Bednar today could go back and talk to Jared Bednar of the 48 point season. I loved this answer. Yeah. His answer was, you know, I would look, cause this was specifically after the Stanley cup winning season. Like, yep. what would you tell yourself? And he'd say, that's the purpose. That's the yes. reason why there's a 48 point season is so you can build towards winning Stanley cup. He wouldn't have been down on himself. You know, it, you talk about unwavering confidence. Even then he, he realized it's a results-based league. Like I think there was no, unacknowledging that part of it in the 48 point season, but it was for a purpose. Right. Well, and, 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 you know, uh, that to me showed, he had a, a quote last year when talking about the team, Megan, that I, I loved. And I've actually tried to believe it or not. And this is going to sound like I'm like waxing way too poetic, but this again, just shows who he is as a leader. There's been several things that Jared Benar has told us about his own philosophies that I have tried to carry forward, uh, you know, in, in my own life. One of them was last year, he talked about the team and, and it was during a stretch making where they were, I mean, they were just trouncing teams every night, three to five goal differential. They were, I mean, they were just beating the brakes off teams every night. Uh, I think it, it was during that stretch when Minnesota and St. Louis were trying to run them down and the Habs went like 21-1-1 and in like a stretch where both St. Louis and Minnesota went like 19-3-0. and 
and somehow the Avs had a better record. And someone asked, you know, how do you think the team is playing right now? How are, how are you continuing to get them showing up like this every single day without g- growing too confident, you know? And he said a few things, but he said, right now this team, he said, is playing with one of the most important things you can have. It's confidence. It's confidence. It's not arrogance. And that comment when he said, you know, the question you're talking about was, what would you have told Jared Bednar after the 48-point season now being Jared Bednar after a Stanley Cup win and setting the all-time franchise mark and him saying, well, that was the, per- you know, that was why I was brought here was to win a Stanley Cup and to win a lot of games. And that just shows his unwavering level of confidence but not arrogance in himself that after a 48-point season, I still had the confidence that I could get the job done. Not only in the NHL, but here with this group. We saw things internally that, and you know, this kind of ties into that Chicago game. When you talk to Jared Bednar about that 48-point season, one, he doesn't like to talk about it much. Um, doesn't like to talk about it much. Uh, but two, when you do pride out of him, he does talk about it a little bit like that Chicago game. There were things happening behind the scenes that like, that 48-point season was the start of the culture change. As horrible as it felt on the outside, that was kind of what started to forge the core on the inside, right? And that was why after the Matt Duchesne trade early early in the next season, you heard so much of that chatter of like, okay, there's no turning back now. Like, this is the group. Gabe Landeskog, during the 48-point season, went to management and said, please don't trade me. I want to be part of this solution. He saw what was happening internally, and that all started with Jared Bednar. Um, and I'm just glad that you brought up that quote from the other day. That was the purpose. We knew we were going to have to go through some tough sledding to get there. Now, I think the one thing that if you truth serum Jared Bednar a little bit, and maybe the one part of that question that was left out was, would you have believed it five years later <laughs> that you're breaking this record and you know, you're defending Stanley Cup champion and all that stuff? Because I think that's maybe the part of all this that is pretty crazy is how quickly they turned it around. They went from the worst in the modern era to Stanley Cup champions, one of the most dominant wire-to-wire seasons the league has ever seen. Um, <clears throat> but I did just love that he said that that was what we were planning on. That was, that was the plan all along. Sitting right here was the plan all along. And I think that's maybe why he didn't like the standing ov. I mean, he loved the standing ovation. He was very grateful, but he's not a he's not a put me in the spotlight kind of guy. The photo you used for the at the rink piece had his daughter in it. I know. So Vega, it was really cute. I didn't know there was a photo out there of it. I, I feel like he would appreciate that kind of attention from so, his family and loved ones I, celebrating him. I was actually I, I was looking for um, a picture of the the donation that Cronky uh, Sports Charities made that night to 27 local nonprofits. I don't think we have time to get to it today, but make sure you go read the Sundays of the Rink piece. Uh, the Avs and Kroenke Sports Charities gave over half a million dollars uh, to 27 local nonprofit charities, um, all raised uh, during the playoff run last year um, through through different initiatives and stuff like that. Just awesome work by Kroenke Sports Charities. Um, but I was looking for a picture of like that kind of ceremony, and, I, and they, there wasn't one. Uh, but I found the one of Jared's wife and his daughter. Was that his wife? I didn't see wife. I just saw daughter. Okay, I didn't okay. look super close. Though. Okay, I, 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 um, it's a couple family members holding up signs for Jared Bednar. I I'm thought they were I'm too. I'm sure good. she's there. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it was really, really sweet. And I know that 
he said that he didn't want to spend too much time talking about it which is why we're going to talk about it on this show. Yeah. We're going to open the floor. We're going to roll some clips of his players talking yes. about him as a coach. I yeah. also think, don't just take it from us. Hear from the players and the influence that he has over them. Yeah, so this is a bit of a longer uh, clip here. It's in, the, it's in the written piece as well, but I didn't write too much about Jared for exactly what you just said. Don't take it from me. Uh, hear it from his players. Like I said, it's probably about, eh, it's just shy of 10 minutes, but... Um, I was asking the guys about him and they had a lot to say. Like each guy had a lot to say about him and I just thought it was cool. So um, yeah, we'll roll that here. I think just his demeanor, um, you know, he, he treats you with respect, treats you like a man. Um, and he just, you know, he's a straight shooter. Um, and, you know, I think guys respect that. Um, you know, he never, you know, never yells, never berates you. Um, he just tells it to you straight. And, um, I think he earns a lot of respect from guys because um, he does that, and I think that's why he gets the most of, out of his players. Frankie was saying that he feels that he's never had a coach feel like so much of like one of the guys. Does it give you that feel? Yeah, definitely. Um, again, it's, it's part of his demeanor. He's just he treats you like you know a counterpart. Um, you know, he doesn't. You don't feel as though he's your coach. He just feels like he's the guy leading the team, and um, you know, I think you wanna, you know, you wanna go do good by him and, and play to the best of your ability for him. Because um, I, I said it before, but it's just that respect thing. He, re he respects you. He treats you like a man. And, um, it's really a calming influence. Um, you know, you don't hold your stick too tight because you feel like you're going to get yelled at. He just gets the best out of his player, the most out of his players, and I think that's why he's had success at every level. You just said it, you know, about not squeezing the stick, but how much does that translate on the ice? When you guys were kind of going through a rough stretch there a couple weeks ago, having someone like that at the helm that's just like, hey, take a deep breath. Yeah, it's huge. I think that's what, you know, kind of changed, changed the tide a little bit. Um, you know, I think everyone was you know, pissed off, tense after, you know, losing to Chicago. And um, the next day he came in and kind of, um, you know, told us to just loosen up. And, you know, when things go tight, everyone's, you know, always stressed about making the next mistake or, you know, don't want to be the next guy to screw up. And he kind of came in and just said, guys, you have to play loose. And, like, you're not going to you're not gonna play well when, you, you know, you're nervous to make a mistake. And, um, you know, I think since then we kind of turned it a little bit. Yeah, he's a, I think, you know, he's one of those modern, younger coaches. He kind of changing the coaching game, I feel like, because he's, you know, he feels like he's part of the crew, part of the team. He talks to everyone. He's asking for opinions of players. And uh, he really, like, you can really talk about anything with him, which is kind of unusual, I, th I feel like. And also, you know, if, he, if the team tells him something, like, uh, that maybe you know we're a little tired. We can maybe get a. We would like to get a day off. He's like he's always thinking about it and definitely taking different look on situations after the team. You know, kind of give him some message. So I feel like that's kind of big difference in his game. And I, I feel like you know he's a hardworking coach. Like he he's always prepared for every game. Like his meetings are. Uh, pretty long like he tells us a lot of information about every team we play against so I, I guess he's spending a lot of time preparing and watching videos so uh, definitely living a coach life so it's funny something you just said kind of ties in with something that JT was telling me that he said 
JT said that he thinks Jared is really kind of like an embodiment of the team in terms of like staying calm but having that kind of fire. Do you, does it sounds to me like you also think that he's kind of a like, I don't know, a heartbeat of the team? Is that a good way to put it? Yeah, I mean, you know, he feels like he's one of our one of our players. So uh, also he has, you know, like a lot of uh, a lot of respect from everyone. So uh, I think it kind of you know works well hand in hand that uh, you can also expect him to to be like making jokes and also. When the business comes, he's, he's 100% focused and he, he expects 100% from everyone from the team. He uh, he stays pretty calm, you know, on the bench and things like that. But Naz was telling me last week the All Star game that he's like, no, he's not always that calm. How often does he uh, does he get after you guys and is it? I mean, it's tough tough to say from my perspective because I usually you know talk the most with UC our goalie coach. So. Mm -hmm. uh, and the game for players when they're going, you know, back and forth on the ice and back to the bench, it's kind of different, so I can really tell. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, he's a competitive guy and, um, you know, works very hard at, you know, for us and make sure that we're prepared every night to have the best chance to win. And obviously we have had success. Um, I think like our team, he's, you know, improved as his time just went along here as well. But known to be always fair and um, you know just wants the best for each guy and for the team so we always see him stay super calm and collected and stuff but Naz was telling me last week at the all-star game that he, he definitely isn't always super calm with you guys kind of behind closed doors one how much does that calming on the bench help you guys and two how often does he kind of get after you guys in ways that maybe we don't see I mean yeah I think his demeanor is similar to that of our team where we try not to get too high and too low and we're just focused on you know what we have to do next and um, you know like any coach there's days he's happy and days he's not happy with us and, um, but overall I think he does a good job of being fair and um, you know just wanting us to be the best that we can it's not never yelling just to yell it's um, you know him wanting us to be the best that we can be. You mentioned like that, that he kind of is a reflection of the team how much, when he first got here, did you guys have to like take a look at the culture and say we want to reset this and kind of lead it in this direction? Yeah, I think the guys that were here before me did a great job of uh, you know being focused on the process, and you know it took years to build that in the right direction. And, um, it was on the ice, off the ice, the way we were preparing for games, the way we were preparing, you know, taking care of ourselves away from the ice. Um, I think it was all a culmination of. You know, the leadership, the leaders just wanting to win. And it's been easy for, I think, other guys to come in and see, you know, that's what we want and we'll do anything to do it. And um, makes it easy for guys to, to come in the locker room and, and join in and, you know, jump in the boat with us. For sure, he's been, uh, you know, an incredible coach. And I think he's helped all of us individually as well as, you know, you've seen the growth of the team. and. You know, there's a lot you could say about him as a, a person and a coach. Um, he's able to get the most out of his players. His uh, hockey IQ is, is through the roof, obviously, with his adjustments and pre-scouts and everything. So, uh, you know, he's obviously deserves all the success he's had. A couple of guys yesterday were saying that he really does kind of just feel like one of the boys and not so much, you know, the coach, but more just like the leader. Is that kind of how you see it as well? Absolutely, no. I think he uh, does a good job of forming personal relationships with all the players. I think 
that's critical in today's day and age. Um, and he does a really good job of that, relating to guys on a personal level, and you know, therefore, is able to get the most out of those guys on the ice as well. Yeah, he's uh, easy going, um, which is nice. So seven or eight years with uh, the same coach probably could get tiring, but with him, it's it's. Uh, you know, he's not in your face. It's it's good. I think um, you know he's he's very smart. He has our respect, and he respects all of us, which is great. Um, I don't know what his milestone is, but it's obviously well deserved. Like you said, over that time, it could be maybe hard for the players to keep from tuning him out. How do you think he's done a good job of navigating that? Just because he's a good guy. I mean, that's really all. That's really it. Um, if he was painful or annoying. Uh, you know who knows, right? But it's uh, it's easy. It's like I said, he actually the talk about you with the other things are just the neutrals on forecheck. So uh, it's nice that he actually has a personality. He's a good person. Like I said, he respects all of us, and uh, he definitely has our respect. Um, yeah, I think he knows when to push the buttons, uh, when to be hard on us, when to be positive. Um, you know, I think it's it's easier. He's getting to know us. He knows how we. Uh, like to treat everyone in the locker room and how he treats everybody. So there's definitely chemistry to be built with your coach. I think that takes time. Um, but yeah, I mean, we obviously have better teams than he did the first couple of years too, which helps all of us. So um, yeah, I think he, you know, he's learned a lot and he's always trying to get better. So the 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 one there that that really did stick out to me the most in that in in my conversations was Evan Rodriguez saying. He doesn't so much feel like a coach. He's the guy that's leading the team. And, and, and again, going back to my statement earlier of, you know, he's the type of person everyone wants running their company, their team, their business, their whatever. Um, that to me is is the, the part that really sticks out. He's the leader. He's not the coach. He's not the boss. He's not the guy in charge. He's not the, you know, he's the leader. He, he's the emotional heartbeat of that group. And, you know, Evan uh, talked about in there, coming off that, you know, that loss to Chicago, Jared comes in and says, no, we're not going to fix anything feeling sorry for ourselves. Let's pick ourselves up and, and get out there and turn this around and play the way that we can. It's not screaming. He's not yelling. He's not bag skating an already injured group. He's leading. He's leading them through some turbulent times right now. Um, and, and I think that's the difference between him and most of the other coaches in the NHL right now. I'm not saying he's the only coach that's like that. But I, I do think, you know, Pavel Francouz talked about him being a, a modern kind of new age coach. And I think that's one of the hallmarks of it is I'm the leader. I'm not the boss. I'm the leader. I didn't mean to open a can of worms, too, with this next comment. But it made me think about a conversation we've had. And I do feel as though he has different relationships with different players yes. based upon what they need. Yep. And this comes about in different ways. And I look at someone like Kale McCarr, whose usage has been in question a lot this season, and there's always the concern of, does the coach know just how hard to push him? Yeah. Or is there fear that he could push him too far? But then after that Anaheim game, there was a question of, do you think guys are fatigued? And he really shut that down quickly and talked about how he has conversations with his players yeah. about that very specifically and why we've watched McCarr take nights off to recuperate yep. a very real injury too. Like it's not just right, to rest right. for the sake of resting, but it, it is, it points to, he does know how hard to push his players because he has dialogue with his players. And I'm sure he has different dialogue with Kel McCarr than he does with Nathan McKinnon. And yep. it's based upon their needs and there's an understanding between the players. And I think that's where he's has a strength as a coach too, is assessing what their different needs are and building right. different relationships with them. Well, and, and you know, Frankie talked about in there, like, 
he's willing to listen if he doesn't see them as you know getting fatigued. But someone comes to him and says, "Hey, yeah, some of the guys are pretty tired." He he'll listen. It's not like a well, too damn bad. Get back out there, blah blah blah. You know, it's whoa, okay, well. And then to your point, Megan, like, wow, I heard that from this guy. Maybe I need to go talk to a couple of my leaders and see how the group is feeling a little bit. And then right. I just. Damn, yeah, we were trying to wrap right, up here. Because there's, there's Nathan just McKinnon. So many, like, there's a totally different the, relationship there. Yep, and, and, and that's something that McKinnon has openly talked about. Gabe has op- openly talked about. You know, there's the kind of now infamous clip of McKinnon and Bednar getting into it. This is several seasons ago now at this point. Uh, on the bench in Calgary. And, uh, you know, I just think it's funny when you listen to Nate talk about Jared in there. Like, you know, he's not just an X's and O's guy. So he'll talk to you. You can talk to him. And he... He has our respect and, and we have his. And, and, you know, if he didn't get along with us, you know, he wouldn't have stuck around this long. And I just think that's really interesting because I do think, look, whether you like it or you don't, I think a guy like Nathan McKinnon does need to be handled a little bit different than the rest. Not because he's so good, but because he's a, you know, he is very good. He's a leader. He, he's an emotional leader for your team, and he's just one of those guys that I'm sorry if you are a, a young guy coming into this roster, a bottom six guy, a new face showing up. If you're Logan O'Connor, you're just not going to convince me that that isn't a guy that's looking at Nathan McKinnon and saying, "Well, what's he doing?" You know, he just kind of has that. So yeah, you do just have to deal with him in a little bit of a different way. And I think Jared Bednar has found a way to say, "Well, hey, maybe he's got he's got a little bit more leash to push back on things that I'm saying." That's because we have an understanding, and I'm sure there is even still a line there that Nathan McKinnon doesn't cross, right? right? Um, but at the same time, it's not Nathan McKinnon walking all over Jared Bednar. It's, I'm going to give you that little bit of respect, but also know that, you know, everyone talks about the way Nathan McKinnon yelled at Jared Bednar on the bench that day. I've also never seen Jared Bednar get after a player like that on the bench, where, you know, he was telling him. Like, he, he was arguing back with him. You don't see Jared Bednar do that. He's normally very calm, cool, and collected. So there's just a, there's a give and take with every player. And Jared Bednar seems to toe that line, uh, really well. Nathan, we can talk about that as well. He, he, he knows how to walk the line between being one of the boys and, and being the leader. And, and I just think it's made such a difference for this. I think too, those, we alluded to flashes of things that we don't see and why it's important then to listen to players and coach when they talk and yep. give us insights because you don't ordinarily see Bednar getting after players generally, but he will. Yeah. You you saw it in the Calgary game very briefly. He was talking to Newhook very sternly. Mm-hmm. And he's also gone to bat for Newhook. He's yep. kind of shut down when we field too many questions about <laughs> Newhook. He's like, all right, you guys need to chill. Yeah. <laughs> so he's he's affirming of his players, but he, he's not without any criticism towards them either. There's a lot of mutual respect there that this is probably a conversation we put a little pin in and explore further throughout this season because yep. – it, it's really interesting. There's a reason this is the winningest coach in the franchise. And, and, and we talked about it on the show a couple of weeks ago, or, or, you know, when he was approaching this, there is, I don't think there's anybody in Avalanche franchise history that's really even close. I think not just in terms of wins, losses, but I think this is the best coach that this franchise has ever had running away at this point. Uh, and the last thing, I, I just have to get this in here because you mentioned the way that he is with the players. And I had someone mention this to me, uh, a buddy of mine, just a couple days ago. I loved a couple weeks ago when he told us, I can't remember which young guy it was that came up from the Eagles, and we asked about him, and he said, look, I'll answer this one, but I'm not going to come up and talk about these guys anymore with you guys before I've had a chance to digest the film and break it down with them. 
And he said, I just don't think it's fair. These guys work their asses off. And then I come up here and give you something based off of what I saw live during the game without going over the film, without talking to the player, without getting explanations for what were you thinking here, there, or whatever. Um, and I just think that's another way that he's really gained a lot of respect from this team is being fair and making sure the players understand what he's seeing without putting them on blast. I think that's a really good call out. This is an interesting segue, but going back to the 48 point season for a second, I believe it's a waiver claim. Matt Nieto comes yep. to the Colorado Avalanche and it's a pretty successful waiver claim story. Mm -hmm. He assumes a role very similar to the role we expect him to have now here yep. with the team again, but some of his greatest success came about through his time with the Colorado Avalanche. And I think he's an interesting player to talk about what his potential fit is here because it feels really obvious yeah. that it's going to be very similar to what it was before, even through two games, what it looks like now. But just wanted to get your thoughts on Matt Nieto now through two games and his fit here. So it's funny because you mentioned the 48-point season when he came in and what like this like weird breath of fresh air you know, he was for that era of avalanche um, hockey, right? He was, I think, and this is maybe some, it's going to sound a little bit more dramatic than what it actually is, but I think he was one of the first guys that came in that kind of clicked for this coaching staff and this management group of, like, more guys like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. more guys that can just skate, 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 play with the pace, heavy on pucks, uh, you know, just, just hounding players on the forecheck, uh, can kill penalties, things like that. Because now we look at Matt Nieto and we say, wow, what a great fit. When he first came to this abs team, it wasn't, wow, what a great fit. It was, huh, this is a guy that, you know, is kind of, especially with how that bottom six looked at the time, it was an injection of skill, an injection of speed. And, and he was kind of a step above everyone else. And now when you look at the way that this Avalanche roster is constructed, constructed guys like Cogliano, O'Connor, you know, Helm when he's healthy, uh, you know, JT Comfer to an extent, those are all guys that kind of, you know, Val Nachushkin to a much higher level. Those are all guys that fit that archetype of, you know, puck pursuit, can play with some, you know, ha have good speed, can play with some skill, have some level of finishing ability, uh, you know, can kill penalties, smart... Half of this Avs roster is made up of varying skill levels of Matt Nieto. You know what I mean? Um, so it's just it's just kind of funny to now look back at when he first got here, and, and you can almost kind of say he was their first, you know, guy that in the bottom half of their roster that they kind of identified as this could be our identity. And so it's funny to now see it come full circle and, and then bring him back. Is it to plug in the Darren Helm spot? We're not really sure. Jared Bednar sounded more optimistic the I, other day. Yeah, that was an interesting update. Uh, you know, said that maybe he's going to start skating again after the break, and maybe he's not done for the year, and that, in fact, they don't even have a timeline set for when they would shut him down for the year. So, I don't know. Now, now if you get Darren Helm back, well, that's a pretty good bottom six that you're filling out suddenly. You know what I mean? Like, you're kind of looking last year where a really good player is probably going to end up in the press box on night one of the playoffs. Um, I, it's funny because a few years ago, Matt Nieto was really this, like I said, this big injection of life. Now it's just, there's another solid guy that you can drop in. 
that is really easy for him to get emotionally invested. He knows this core. He knows the group. He knows the coaching staff. He knows management. It's going to be really easy for him to jump into this emotionally, into this run. And two, just from a system standpoint, we just spent the last two minutes talking about how well he fits, how he kind of helped define this system early on in this coaching tenure. Uh, he'll be able to jump in pretty easily. Some of it, too, that I think of is is age that this could point to what I'm about to say. But the talent that he was around when he was here last, his bottom six talent, right? Yep. The Soderberg Comos. It Absolutely. is different now from what it was then. And he had better production there than he did in his last couple seasons with San Jose. It's tapered off a bit. I just wonder, he was elevated in his production then. What could come of it now with the bottom six as it could be constructed when this team is fully healthy? I think it's even better. I think he's in an even better position to offensively contribute. And he does all the blue-collar things that you alluded to as well, that they really trust. He's a reliable, trusted player for those reasons, too, that I think this could even be a better showing for Matt Nieto this time around. The safety blanket for Jared Bednar before was uh, Matt Nieto, Carl Soderberg, Blake Como. If you're talking about a safety blanket, yeah, Tiff is laughing off screen. Be like, were you laughing at that that line? Yeah, just brutal. I, no offense to Carl Soderberg or Blake Como. Uh, now you're talking about a safety blanket line of Andrew Cogliano, Logan O'Connor, Matt Nieto, some combination if Darren Helm is a fourth guy that you can work in there. It's a lot younger. That's a lot more speed and a lot more skill. Um, again, I actually thought Carl Soderberg was someone here who uh, a little bit underappreciated for how good he was every year outside of that 48-point season. Uh, and, uh, yeah, much better, much much. Much big upgrade is what I was about to say. Much, Much big. bigger upgrade uh, in terms of line mates. The next topic, <laughs> Ryan Merkley. I was going to say, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's based on... Maybe we just do a separate video to talk about Merkley. Mm, well, here, just, just start it. We'll, yeah, we can allude to that. We'll, yeah, we'll do something else. Okay. Merkley is the most mysterious part of the acquisition mm -hmm. and he got in two games with the Colorado Eagles this last weekend so there's just a little bit to talk about in terms of first observations I don't mean to overvalue to what two games he gets dropped in on the road very similar to what happened with Alex Galchaniak don't know if he so much as gets a practice in there mm -hmm. and they split the series with the Texas Stars so it's it's an interesting he picks up a primary assist off of his own shot actually on the power play that right. ends up being the goal. So he gets on the score sheet. It's was that his goal? Basically. So okay. like there was a tip in at the front. So it wasn't credited to him, but he oh, got the wasn't. primary assist, but oh, it was his okay. shot okay. from up high that created this I'll goal. I'll say, cause they, the Eagles had originally said that it went to him. I never saw them go back and change Because it. Okay. it was this very last minute tip. They thought it was his. Like it it might it. as okay. well be, right? Yeah. He gets some credit for that. Uh, pretty decent shot, especially on the power play. I wouldn't, I wouldn't tout it as like all world, but it has contributed on the power play. So I will not discredit it's, it's it completely not nothing either. Else. We'll circle back to that. No, completely. So this is an player that's a, a player that's just really intriguing. Um, I just don't feel like we have proper time to give it the, the discussion it yeah, deserves. We'll get into it for okay. sure. Okay. Um, he's an interesting player, Megan. He's super 
I don't know if polarizing is quite the right word because I haven't seen like a lot of people be very pro or against him, but I think this will end up being a player that's super polarizing. At least he was in his draft year, right? Uh, we were there in Dallas when he got drafted. There was an audible reaction when he was taken in the first round. Look, Ryan Merkley was touted as a high, a top-end first-round talent in his draft year. Skill-wise, I think, Megan, you and I would both agree that from a pure skill standpoint, he's probably, like, you'd probably still consider him to be a pretty high-end prospect on the defensive side of the puck. Right-handed shot, can skate, has good puck skill. From, from a pure on-ice skill perspective, I think this is a pretty high-end prospect. The warnings that came with him in his draft year, there were some potential behavioral issues. Um, it was never fully explained what that was. He was. It was even reported as far as he was on several teams' do not draft list, DND, do not draft. People thought for sure he would fall out of the second round. The conversation kind of was, who's going to be the one to take a swing on him and when will it happen because he is such a, a high-end talent? Well, San Jose takes him in the first round. Hasn't worked out. Requested a trade out. It's tough, Megan, because, like you said, he gets dropped in on the road, coming to a new organization. He actually hadn't played in a while in San Jose because of this trade request. Yeah, no, it had been a whole month, it actually, had, since he last played, so that's also something to consider when we evaluate his first two games with the Eagles. It had been a full month, so there are, like it or not, there are several asterisks here on this first game. AJ tweeted out that he saw it as some potential um, what, I almost engagement, said behavior, engagement right? issues. Megan, you said you didn't see it that way. I know we're pressed for time here. I, I would maybe like for us to do another video, but I just really quickly wanted you to get your piece in there about you didn't necessarily see it as engagement issues. And, and I thought you had an interesting perspective because maybe we are misunderstanding these potential behavioral issues as engagement problems when really it's... All right, so and I want to add the qualifier that it could be engagement mm -hmm. because I have been quick to point to a player like Kaut, a player like Maltsev, and say I think there are some effort-based things happening here, and this is corroborated by other people that I talk to. Mm -hmm. But I remember a time when Maltsev was being watched by a scout who isn't regularly at games. By his name, the scout had written in big letters, scared. And in my opinion, I didn't think that Maltsev was scared or fearful, and that was why he appeared disengaged. However, my impression of Merkley specifically was there was reluctance, and it was fear-based. He looked like he was scared to engage. This is why he looked a step behind the play at points, positionally a little lost in space. He looked unsure of himself, and I think especially in his own end, because offensively, he had terrific vision. He's walking the blue line, looking for shooting passing lanes. He gets a point in that second game, basically a goal. And that's where he thinks the game at a high pace offensively. I think he has terrific vision on that side of the ice, but in his own end, dropped into a new system. This struck me as a player who looked a little bit timid and afraid to make mistakes. Understandably, the stakes are high. Yeah. He doesn't have really any leverage in Colorado. He right. did because in San Jose, they wanted him to be a highly touted draft pick that works out. Right. It didn't they work out. They want to be the ones that got it right. And he looks at what is defensively ahead of him in Colorado and he wants to be in the NHL. He sees that the odds are stacked against him. He has no reason not to give 100%. Yeah. Let's maybe do something else where we dive a little bit deeper into this, Megan, because I want us to be able to have 
a larger conversation around Merkley because I do think there's a big conversation to have there with his NHL potential. Fully. Um, but we've got a meeting to get to. We got the Rockies guys coming in. Uh, Patrick's blowing up on Twitter right now, so we gotta we gotta get him uh, gotta get him in here. Uh, but yeah, I would like for us to continue this conversation on Merkley because I think it's fascinating. Absolutely. All right, you guys, we are gonna follow up with this, and we'll be back with more after ring contact next week. Megan Angley, Jesse Montano, DNVR Avalanche after ring podcast. Week. Bye week. Thank you.